So uh, why don't you nudge the person next to you and just say, um, hey, nice to see you. Right, just to... <laughs> and, then, and then turn to someone else and say, are you ready for a shift? Are you ready for a shift? Because, um, as you know, every year as a church, we're always asking God for a word for the year or, or a phrase for the year. And we believe that in 2022, God's word for us is the word shift. Um, last year, as we celebrated our 40th year, we, uh, we, the word was reboot, where God was saying he's going to reboot Zio beyond our 40th year into a new place and, and a new way of being church. And we really feel like the invitation from heaven for 2022 is the question, will you make the shift? Will you move into the new thing that God wants to do? And, uh, and we kicked off the year in January, and I reminded us on the 2nd of January that, that ultimately that's about a shift of the heart. That God wants to see a shift in our hearts because the scripture makes it clear in the Old Testament and on the lips of Jesus that what we believe and feel in our heart is what flows out in terms of how we live our lives. And so, so these are the shifts of the heart. And I brought the first two shifts to us last time, a couple of weeks ago, which was a shift. The most important shift of all was a shift from religion to relationship that we needed to remember, particularly those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, that Jesus is inviting us into a loving, life-giving relationship with God, not some religious rule book. That's not what we're invited to. And I reminded you of the liberating truth that there is nothing you can do to make God love you. And there is nothing you can do to save yourself from the suffering, struggle, self-centeredness, sickness, even death itself, that big enemy. You and I, we cannot save ourselves from those things. But wonderfully, God unconditionally and relentlessly has loved us even from before we were conceived. And he alone has the motivation, the power, the love to save us. Four people thought that was good news. Is there anyone else who thinks that's good news? It's good news. And so we said, stop trying to impress God. Stop trying to impress other people. Surrender to him. Just give up and let him love you and bring you into that relationship. A shift from religion to relationship. And then from that, we talked about the second shift. That if we start to really make that move, that we're not trying to work for God's approval, but we, we serve and we live for him from his love and approval, then we can move from a, a, a heart mindset, if that's a blurring of metaphors, from being a consumer to being someone who is consumed with Jesus. That we have a shift where the goal of our life, uh, which is counter to our current culture, is not be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. That is not the goal of our lives. The goal of our lives is not with us at the center of our universe, but in response to the joy and the wonder and the security of this incredible love we have that we've received from him, that our goal in life is to become like Jesus and become everything that God wants us to be, that we are consumed with Jesus and I, I want to talk this morning about two more shifts that I believe that as I prayed, like in the run up to this, I spent a whole afternoon just praying and just asking God, what are the shifts of the heart? And I, I want to share with you two more. And all of these follow on from one another. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to cheer each other on in this. Anyone feel like they need a bit of cheering on, a little bit of encouragement? Because shifting is not easy. Change is not easy, is it? Let's face it, change is not easy. In my experience, everyone loves change, providing it's their idea. 
It's true, isn't it? Like, everyone loves change, providing it's their idea. I mean, I'm, I'm a leader. I've, I love leadership. I love invoking change. I love inspiring change. People say to me, oh, Matt, you love change. And it's true, so long as it's my idea. But change that is thrust upon me, that is particularly unexpected change, and some of us in the last two years have gone through some very difficult unexpected changes, but understandably, we don't like that kind of thing. It reminds me of a story of a, of a senior leader of a church. This is a made-up story, by the way. I don't think this is true. It's, it's, it's a parable. And, um, and, and he's going for a walk with three of his other leaders, elders, leadership team. And they're going through a walk in the park, and, and he turns to them. He says, Look, I believe that God has spoken about a new thing that we should do and things that we should move into, a time of massive change. And, and those three leaders say, no, I think, I think you're wrong. I don't, I don't think that's right at all. We need to stick with the way things are. We like it this way. It's comfortable this way. And, and in desperation, the, the, the pastor looks up to the sky and says, God, would you, would you please show these leaders that actually that I'm right, that I've heard from you, and this is your change. And he says, amen. And as he says, amen, it was, a, it was an incredibly blue, clear sky. But out of nowhere, suddenly two clouds appeared in the sky, danced around one another, cracked lightning, and then disappeared. And, and, and so the, the, the senior pastor, he turns to his guys, like, look at that. That's clearly God affirming. They were like, no, no, no. It's just a coincidence. And so they're chatting some more, and they're still thinking, no, let, let's stick with it. And, and so, it, so again, in desperation, he cries out, Lord, please, would you give us another sign to, to show them that I'm right, that I've heard from you, that you want to bring change to the way we do church, the way we are the church. And, and, and again, that clear sky is suddenly saturated with, with dark clouds. There's a thunder clap, uh, clap, and literally they get drenched with a rainstorm that lasts 30 seconds, and then it disappears, the sky goes blue, and he goes, look! Like, come on. And they were like, no, it's just a coincidence. We need to stick with the way things are. It's comfortable. We like it the way things are. And final time, because often in the Bible you do things in threes. Final time, like he's so desperate, he literally gets on his knees and said, God, please give him a sign. Please let them know that I am right. And, and again, the sky goes dark. But then suddenly there's like a, a, a big circle of light that beams down. And a voice, literally a voice from heaven goes, he is right. And so the, so the senior leader turns to his other three leaders who then say to him, well, there's still just two of you. There's three of us. So you're outvoted. People, you're thinking like, did you literally, was that story all for that? But the point is, people hate change. No one likes change unless it's their idea. True? And the reason that we don't like change is because we want to stay with what is comfortable and we don't like paying the cost of change. And that, my friends, is our third shift that God is inviting to us to. The shift from comfort to cost. The shift from comfort to cost. Because here's a, here's a challenging thought that I was exercised by in my preparation for this. Okay, some of you need to write this down. You can be in a place where you're experiencing the goodness and the grace and the favor of God and still be in totally the wrong place. Let me say that again. You can be in a place where you're experiencing the grace of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. You know God is being kind to you. He's being good to you, but actually God wants you somewhere else. You're in the wrong place. 
And, and let me just prove that. Before you think, no, Matt, that sounds dodgy. Let me prove that to you from one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's told in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And it tells us this incredible story of Moses who leads the Israelite nation out of four centuries of Egyptian slavery and oppression and leads them from Egypt towards the promised land, this amazing new place that God has for them. And... And so they get this incredible rescue. How many of you have seen The Prince of Egypt? Or you've, you've watched Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat? Is everyone, should we have a little bit of singing, I Close My Eyes? No? Angie says, no, let's not do that. I thought we were going to do a little duet there, Angie, just for a second. Um, and so fast forward two books to the book of Numbers, and you can check this out later. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. They finally, they've left Egypt. They go for a, a long walk. They, they get the Ten Commandments, and they appear now at the border of the Promised Land, a place called Kadesh Barnea. And Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land, including two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And they go into the land for 40 days. Now, remember, in Scripture, the number 40 is always a significant number. It always means shift. It always means change, transition. And so they go into the land for 40 days to spy it all out and then come back and report. And when they come back and report, all of the 12 spies are unanimous in saying, this land is amazing. This land of promise, this place that God has promised us, it's even better than God said. It is incredible. They're all united around that. But 10 of them say, but what we didn't realize is that there were going to be problems in this land. There are giants, literally, giant people, giant cities, giant problems. We feel like we're grasshoppers in the sight of these. If we go into the land, they will crush us. So we probably actually should definitely not go in, and, and it will be far better that we go back to Egyptian slavery. They are trapped with fear and disappointment and a commitment to comfort and they're trapped in that because they've come to believe a lie. And it's a lie we can all believe. Easy lie. And their faulty, their stinking thinking, as Joyce Meyer was said, has led them to believe this. That when we step into the promise, there are no problems. When we step into the new good thing that God's got for us, we think everything's going to be great. But actually that is not true. And we never see that in Scripture. God did not promise that the, the new place he had for them would be free of problems, but he promised to be with them, and he promised that if they stuck with him, all of those problems would be overcome, that they didn't need to fall. And, and so despite the fact that Joshua and Caleb, they literally, they tear their clothes, they weep, they say to the people, don't listen to the other ten. God has promised us that we can go, we can, we can achieve amazing things in this land, we can overcome everything, the giants will become nothing for us. God wants this as our inheritance. Even though they try, their voices of faith, hope and courage are drowned out and the people say, we're not going to go, we're not going to do it. And as a result of that, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember the significance of the number 40? For 40 years, one year for every day that they were spying out the land. And the whole goal of those 40 years was that the faithless generation who refused to go in would eventually die. And that a new rising generation would then step into the land with Joshua and Caleb who were the ones who believed. What a sad story. But think about this. Pause with me for a second. God is faced with a stubborn, 
angry, rebellious, critical, grumbling group of people who refuse to shift into the new thing he has, how is he going to respond? How would you respond if someone treated you like that? And the answer is, amazingly, with bucket loads of love and grace. And so what then happens if you, if you don't know the story? These, this generation who refused to go in, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years, God provides food for them, drink for them, clothing for them, leadership for them, protection for them, guidance for them. He pours out his grace and favor upon them, but they're in the wrong place. Is anyone hearing me today? Am I preaching to someone? You can experience the goodness, the favor, the beauty, the wonder of God and still be in the wrong place. Because you're more committed to your comfort, this is good for me, than the cost of changing. And we, we passionately believe, don't we, in Zio, that, that God is doing a new thing. We are coming into a time of reboot. We're still praying it through. I might see some things with you in a moment if the Holy Spirit leads me to. But we believe that there are new places and there are new promises and, th- and there are new purposes and there are new plans that heaven has for Zio Church. But we can, you can, I can, we can miss it if we refuse to pay the cost of making the shift. Because time and time again we see in Scripture, new promise, new problems. New chapter, new challenge. New level, new devil. If you want to step into the better things that God has for you, you can live in the good. Like you can still live in the good. You can think, oh, this is good, I'm, I'm cool. You know, this is, this is great. And God, because he loves you, will, will still look after you and take care from you. But he's saying, but I had this for you. Can you imagine stepping into heaven when we stand before God and, and, and we see the, the shelves of heaven that were stacked with all the good things that God has for us and we find that they're mostly full because we didn't grab them. We just stuck with what was comfortable. There will be sacrifices to make, prices to pay, giants to face. But the good news is we don't do that in our own strength. We do it in his strength, resting in his love and cheering each other on cheering each other on. We can do this. We can do this. There's a shift from comfort to cost that God's inviting us to because we don't want to be experiencing the goodness and grace of God and yet ultimately find we're in the wrong place. We're not where God would have us to be. Religion to relationship, consumer to consumed, comfort to cost. And then And if we really start to embrace those shifts, if we surrender and allow the Holy Spirit to commit us to those shifts, then that will enable this last shift that I want to speak about today, which is a shift from a moment to a movement. The shift from moments with God to movements of God. I love moments with God. Does anyone love moments of God? Like we just had a moment with God. We're having a moment with God right now. He's here by His Spirit. I love moments with God. It's, it's absolutely astounding and breathtaking that we can connect with God personally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically. The God that we serve is not di- distant and disinterested. He's up close and personal. You can know Him. You can experience Him. You can be aware that His presence is here. Like I love that. Does anyone love that? Good. Half of us do. That's good. 
So I love it when we gather here. I love it when we gather to pray at 7 a.m. on Wednesday, 7 p.m. on Wednesdays, 15 minutes. The Zoom code is out there. You've all got it. You don't have to show your face. You can just dial in and listen to people praying. Am I talking to anyone today? Come on, guys. Like, you need a moment with God. Like, we need, like, it's great. It's fantastic. Like, Celine was leading this week, and Amy was doing something, and like those little 15, 15 minutes. Can you, can you commit to one of those 15 minutes, 7 a.m., 7 p.m.? Not because I'm asking you to do it. Not because we're trying to tick off a box. But we do need moments with God and with each other. We need moments with God and each other to set up and finish our day. I love moments with God. I love meeting in our groups socially. All of these things are really, really important. And we can have moments with God anytime, any place. But the, one of the primary purposes of moments with God are to propel us into movements of God. To propel us. You know, I, I remember back in 1985... The New Orleans outdoor swimming pool came to the end of their summer season and they had a massive celebration. And they were celebrating, get this, that for the very first time in their recorded history, no one drowned in the season. What a great thing to celebrate. We, you, know, had a, you know, hundreds of people gather and they're having a barbecue and people are in the pool having a great time. And they're just so rejoicing. No one drowned this season. What a great positive negative. And at the end of the afternoon, they're clearing the pool, everyone's going home, and at the bottom of the deep end was 31-year-old Jerome Hardy, who drowned in the midst of their party. And I remember I, the first time I heard that story, I thought, oh, my days, this is the church. This is the church. Coming together and worshiping and celebrating, God, you've rescued us, you are our champion, you're amazing, you're fantastic. And all while we're doing this, outside this place, people are dying without Jesus. They're dying, they're dying in your neighborhood, they're dying in your workplace, they're dying, they don't even know they're dying because life without Jesus is death. Life without Jesus is hell, not afterwards, not just afterwards, but now. Life with Jesus, and we are at the risk of just having a holy huddle, a holy knees up, when we're actually called by Jesus to join in his rescue mission for the whole of creation. We're called to feel the breaking, compassionate heart of the Father for the last, the least, and the lost. We're called to movement, not just moment. I don't know if anyone you saw a few years ago, that film Dunkirk, based on what happened in early 1940 and if, if you're not familiar with that historical moment, hundreds and hundreds of British troops are stranded on the beaches of Dunkirk looking to be imminently annihilated by the German enemy. And through both leadership wisdom, a lot of communal action, and definitely some divine intervention, 338,227 troops were rescued by hundreds and hundreds of little ships and boats and brought back to safety. And everyone was celebrating and rejoicing. And Winston Churchill famously said this in a speech to the Commons. He said, we must be very careful not to assign this deliverance the attributes of victory. Wars are not won by evacuations. And Winston Churchill wasn't playing down the wonder of the rescue, but he was making the point that the goal of the war and what they were doing was not to rescue people. The goal of the war was to be victorious. That they were rescued for a purpose. 
Friends, do you know you've been rescued for a purpose? You're not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works. You have been saved from something, darkness and hell and suffering and death and all those things, but you have been saved for something to live a life of love and justice. And it's why we're doing this whole Seeking Justice series. It's why on weeks four and weeks eight, we're saying, let's not be in a holy huddle in our groups. Let's get out there and do something because our moments with God are supposed to provoke and enable movements of God, movements of God. I mentioned at the end of last week that in the 19th century, a man called Charles Finney was an evangelist traveling all over the world, uh, inviting people to follow Jesus. And he's the guy actually who initiated the whole idea of an altar call, you know, where you invite people to come and pray. And when Charles Finney invited people to come and receive Jesus, they'd come and he would pray that they would know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And once they prayed, he would ask them to keep going and walk to the back table and sign up, put their name on a line that says they're committed to join the anti-slavery movement. Anti-slavery movement. They were saved from something, but they were saved for something. They weren't just signing up for a personal relationship with Jesus. They were signing up for the movement of Jesus Christ, seeing justice and love and, and, and the works of God break out in the world. And we see this all throughout the whole of Scripture, that moments with God should spark movements of God. Like in Luke chapter 8, you can go and look at this again later, Jesus sets free a man who's been terribly demonized. Up to this point, like he's deranged, he's violent, he's butt naked, he's living in a graveyard, he's wailing, he's crying out, he's cutting himself with, with stones, and he is utterly unsurprisingly lost and rejected by the community. No one wants to know this guy. And, and Jesus, in this wonderful moment of healing and the miraculous, sets him free. Aren't you glad, by the way, 2,000 years later, Jesus is still in the business of setting people free? May chains break in this house today, we pray. And so, so what happens? This man has an incredible moment with Jesus. He has a moment with Jesus. And so it's no surprise that he wants to stick with Jesus. He literally says, go and read the story. Jesus, can I come and follow you? And, um, and, and utterly shocking, Jesus says, no. Don't come and follow me. You go back to the ten cities, those places that know you as butt-naked, butt angry, demonized man. That, that's how they know you. Go back to those places and tell everyone what I've done for you. Because his moment with Jesus sparked a movement for Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus later goes back to this place as the Decapolis. And, and there's a greater receptivity to what Jesus is doing, clearly because of the work of this man. In Acts chapter 2, we have this incredible Pentecost moment where, where the Holy Spirit comes like never before. 120 men and women gathered like an encounter. Like we're gathering and we're praying and we're worshiping and we're seeking God and we're reading the word. And, and, and as they do it... God comes by spirit like never before, like a, a rushing wind, like roaring fire. And that moment with God, which, which so easily they could have said, oh, we love this. Lock the doors. Let's just, just enjoy this. But, but actually, it cannot help but spill out into the streets that day. This moment with God becomes a movement of God. 3,000 people come to know Jesus that's, that day. And the church is born, which you and I are a part of today. Because these guys refused to allow their moment to not become a movement. Am I preaching to anyone today? God wants our moments with him to become movements of him. Otherwise, it's just self-indulgent. Otherwise, we just get back to consumer church. Another last one that I'll share, Acts chapter 16. This is great, and it really connects with what Ben said earlier. 
In Acts chapter 16, look at this later, we find these two guys, Paul and Cyrus. Because they refuse to not speak about Jesus, they find themselves beaten up in prison, in stocks in the lowest part of the dungeon, and wondering if they're going to be executed the next day. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. It's the midnight hour, the darkest part of the night, and what do they do? What would you do if that was you? Jesus like, I'm doing all this stuff for you. I've just been beaten up, stripped, put in chains, probably going to be killed tomorrow. What do they do? They say, what a great place to have a moment with God. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a moment with God right here. We're, we're just going to, we're going to make a choice like Ben encouraged us to. I'm going to make a choice. Like I, we're, we're, we're going to praise God despite our environment. We're going to praise God despite our, our circumstance. We're going to sing. So they sing and they praise and they pray. And they're so loud that it says that everyone in the prison can hear them. But their moment with God, even in the wilderness experience, sparks this incredible movement of God. Literally, the place shakes. Every single prison door opens. The chains fall off. The jailer and his whole family get saved because Paul and Silas knew if I would just push into a moment with God, it could spark a movement of God. And that's what God is wanting to do in us. And I mean in every way. Every way. That's why we do gather at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and at the account tonight, or even now, or in our groups. Because moments with God are important. It is important to come alongside God. But we want to believe that those moments of God will spark movements of God in every way. Movements of God in your workplace. Movements of God in your healing. Movements of God in your family. There are moments with God. That's why we treasure them, prioritize them, grow in them, stretch in them. Because time and time again, we see that when there is intimacy, moments with God, then we do see movements of God. Part of the challenge, while we're not seeing great moves of God, is one, because we don't spend enough time in moments with Him. And if we do, we don't expect that they'll spark movements of him. God is looking for a movement of people who are as light of the earth, salt of the earth, mercy bringers, joy bringers, hope releasers, change makers, justice roarers, people lovers, people who are longing for not just moments, but movements of God in and through them. You know, the very fact that Jesus' invitation to people 2,000 years ago was follow me tends to suggest he's going somewhere. He's moving somewhere. And where's he going? He's going amongst the hurting and the broken. He's stepping into the places of darkness, the deathly places. He's coming alongside the oppressed and the rejected. He's wiping the tears of the grieving and the hopeless. And he's inviting each and every one of us to join in with what he's doing. To be his hands, his eyes, his feet, his heart. He's inviting us to join in. To be a movement. Kingdom movement. Like you guys know, if you've been around Zio the last few years, that um, three years ago we set a little bit of a strategy which COVID blew up a little bit. And that strategy was basically we believe that God was inviting us to plant churches. And we had a goal that by 2025, God leading us, we would have five churches. And what if I told you today, what if instead we had a goal that by 20 30 or 2032 in 10 years' time, that we planted a thousand churches. What if instead that was way too small and we said, no, in the next 10 years, we want to plant 10,000 churches because the need is so great? And, and immediately you'll think, oh, wow, 10,000 of these. No, not 10,000 of these. 
Because God's going to do a new thing. He's going to do a new thing. And there are people here right now who will be planting churches in their homes. There'll be people right now who will be planting churches in their workplaces. Churches that will plant churches. Disciples that make disciples. Because, because we've forgotten that ultimately Jesus, this movement led by Jesus is based on two things. The great commandment, the great commission. The great commandment is, is Matthew 22, 37 to 40. You must love the Lord with all of your heart, your God, all of your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these commandments. You know, and so the essence of everything we do is love. We love God completely. We love others compassionately. And we love ourselves correctly. Like that's what we're called to do. That's the greatest command. But then Jesus' marching orders, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, that's us. I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching those new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you to the end of the age. How many disciples have you made so far? How many disciples have I made? And not just disciples, but disciples who make disciples, who pass on the baton. You know, it's great. On Easter Sunday, we will probably baptize five or six people, and that's great. Over the last five years, we've baptized probably about 20 people. And I love it. But it, I'm, let me be honest, it's terrible. It's terrible. There are 35,000 people within two miles of this church. And 20 of them have come to know Jesus. Like, this is not the longing of God's heart. And, and this, the way we're doing this now, we're never going to reach them. We're never going to reach tens of thousands of people doing this like this. And you might say, yeah, yeah, well, it's not all on us. It's on every church, of course. But even if all of the churches in Hitchin doubled in number, it's not even close. Jesus is after a movement. A movement of people who are so aware of their loving relationship with Jesus, so consumed by him and wanting to get close to him, so willing to pay the cost of pursuing him and seeing what he wants to do, that they join in this amazing movement and they experience the wonder of what God is able to do through them. That they are not just a disciple, but they're a disciple maker. That they don't just attend church, but they're a church planter. That that's what they embrace. And, and, and the reason that we struggle with it is because we're so locked into a way of doing church right now. But there's something new coming, friends. There's something new coming. And, and as, as I finish, you may be saying, oh, oh well, Matt, I, I, I could never do that. And if you're saying that, I want to say, fantastic! Because you are exactly who Jesus needs. Jesus is not asking, can you do it? He's simply saying, are you willing? That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for you to think you can do it. If you think you can't, can do it, you're disqualified because you'll do it in your own strength. But if you're here and you're thinking, wow, I could never lead a friend to Christ. I could never ha hold a little church gathering in my house. I could never raise up another leader to plant another church. I'm saying you, in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Providing you embrace movement and not just moment. And so we're still figuring out, God, what does all this mean? There's going to be a revolution in this church in the next three to five years. A revolution in this church. And we're grappling with, how can we plant a thousand churches in the next ten years? 
and even asking ourselves as a leadership team, is that, way too, is that too small? Thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands of people coming to know Jesus. Not because we want to look good, but because people need Jesus. People need Jesus. I don't know, Jesus may come back in a year's time, he may come back in a hundred's time, but if he comes back in a year's time, I want to literally throw everything I've got in the next year. Because one day I'm going to stand before him, and he might say, oh, you were in a good place. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed all those little church meetings, and you felt good about yourself, and, and, and you know, I love you, and I'm for you, but, but there was a better place for you, if you're willing to embrace the cost of doing it. Let's just pause for a second. Team, do you want to come, come up? I just want us just to just be still. I, I'm not here to condemn anyone, not even myself, but I am really convicted. I'm saying, God, what's the new thing you want to do in me? And I, I'd love to think that all of us in the next journey are going to in the, in the months and years ahead, we're going to embrace what will become a very messy experience. But God, we just want what you want. And you want a church that makes disciples and then you'll build the church. So I'm going to just invite you just in the silence, first of all, God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Can you pray that prayer? It may be nothing I've said. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Remember, he's, he's not asking if you can. He's just asking, are you willing? And then he'll give you the resources of heaven to do what he's called you to do. What are you asking of me? Holy Spirit, come. Will you permit Jesus to mess with the way you think about following him and about church? Is it really time for us to make the shift of going to church to becoming the church, wherever we are? to surrender everything. It's everything on the altar. So I'm going to ask us to make a response at the moment. We're going to go into singing a song. But, but if you're, if you know, in a moment, I'm going to ask some people to stand and only stand if this is you. If you know that God is actually stirring something in your heart, burning something in your heart, if the Holy Spirit's whispering to you, you need to let go of some stuff in order to step into the new thing. If you recognize that you are in a good place even, and because God loves you, and he does love you, by the way, he just dotes on you. You're He's got your picture on his wall. 
does love you, whatever you decide. But are you feeling that stirring that I'm in a good place, but Lord, I'm willing to leave the good place for the better place? And would you help me pay the cost? I am in a good place. I kind of I I like things. But I'm willing to pay the cost to move to the better place. Even though I've got no idea what that is. If that's you, would you stand right now? And I just want to pray over us. Are you really willing to let go? stand because others are standing. If you just think, God, I'm willing to let go. There are, there are some of us here who, who actually we don't feel we're in a good place. But we're paralyzed and we're understandably, because we've been so wounded, we're understandably worried about going anywhere new with God. This is a prayer moment for you too. And so if right now you would be saying, actually, I'm not in a good place, but I'm fearful of moving somewhere different. I'm not talking about geographically, but just to the place of God's promise. Can I trust God again? Will God take care of me? If that's you, I'm going to invite you too to stand with these other people who are standing. I'm not in a good place, but give me courage to move to a better place. It's good, friends. Holy Spirit, come. Those of you who are standing, just again, just encourage you, just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, come and rest on you right now. God sees your response. God knows that you're fragile. He knows that we're all fearful. I pray that you will know, firstly, that hug from heaven. The the Father putting his arm around you, saying, I know. I know. I love you. I know. And I pray see your brother Jesus looking you right in the eye in this moment, your elder brother Jesus saying to you in this moment with a big beaming cheeky smile on his face let's do this follow me follow me into life and I pray the Holy Spirit will come right now and fill you with power from heaven, the resources of heaven to make the shift, to make the shift, to make the shift. Come, Spirit of God, right now to make the shift. I can't do it, God, but with you I can. I can't do it, God, but with you I can. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I made the shift. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
just receive right now freedom, healing. Come on. God's about to blow our mind with what he's going to do in the next year. He's got good things, immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Immeasurably more. There's a cost, but the joy will outweigh the cost. The reward will outweigh the risk. Thank you, Father. I just feel for some of us here today, and even some of us that are standing right now and some that are sitting, we almost feel guilty because we want to respond to this message and we want to give it our all, but right now we're contending with a reaction instead. And I want to say to you that that's okay. When we start to hear about the new, and when we drop little seedlets of what we think God is going to do in our lives and in our kingdom spaces and places, we of course all have a reaction. And for some of us, that's fear. For some of us, that's worry about the unknown. For some of that's anxiety that says, but me, Lord, like, could you really use me, Lord? And I want to say to you, if there's a reaction going off in your heart right now and it doesn't feel good, it doesn't feel pleasant, it feels unhealthy, you're in the best place. You're in the presence of God right now and you're in the company of others. So if there's a reaction that's bubbling inside you right now, don't feel guilty for it, but respond to it. Invite God into the anxiousness. Invite God into the uncertainty. Invite God into the questioning and the grappling that's happening in your soul right now. And just say, God, something doesn't feel right, so can you come do something about that? Permit him. Permit him to be the peacemaker in your soul so that your reactions come from a place of faith, not from a place of fear of man, not from a place of worry or concern. If that's you, if you know, that you're battling internally with some reactions right now that don't feel all that good and don't feel all that holy, I want to specifically pray for you today so that then as you come into that place of responding in faith, your soul catches up. Now for some, this will be an instant thing, but for many of us, this will be a journey over weeks and months and maybe even years that our reactions are caught and then led into a place of faith that we respond and say, yes, Lord. Does this make sense for some of us? If it makes sense for you today, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to stand over there in this corner as we continue to respond to God. And I'm going to pray for those of you that that feels specific for. I'm just going to be over there. Wonderful. Should we all stand together? If that's you, please come forward so that Amy and some of our prayer team can pray for you. But we're going to sing this song nothing else it's this simple prayer God I want you but realize if you get God if you get Jesus you're going to get his mission if you get his moment you'll get his movement and so we pray for a movement of God in you absolutely a movement of healing a movement of refreshing a movement of restoration we pray for that movement in you but then that movement through you that you will be a river not a reservoir the life of God flowing through you in Jesus' name.